you just tuned into the hippest way to start and grow your indie author career, learn the ins, the outs, and all the all-arounds of self-publishing with the team from D2D and their industry-influencing guests. You're listening to Self-Publishing Insiders with Draft2Digital. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And this is the draft to digital Spotlight. Or if you're listening to us on the podcast, we are the uh, self-publishing uh, in- insiders uh, podcast. So thank you for being a part of the show. And today we've got special guest Michael Bunker, uh, who is right there. Hey, hey look there at I am. you. It's a lot less Michael Bunker than most of us are accustomed to seeing, though. I'm, I'm half the man I once was. <laughs> Literally, too, right? Yeah, like you, uh, not, not really, but I was, I was, I was 278. I lost 101 pounds. <clears throat> That's um, that is remarkable. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, and I've been working on it. I've, I've lost quite a bit. Oh, I've lost like 20 pounds. I'm happy with this. Oh yeah, like 20, 23 pounds. I'm happy with it. Well, yeah. Uh, well, see, you, you, you aren't morbidly obese. <clears throat> I don't know. You you ask my doctors. They <laughs> it doesn't matter what I've ever weighed, by the way, my whole life. Like they always tell me, well, you need to weigh around 170. Like I haven't weighed 170 since I was in like seventh grade, man. Yeah. It's well, you know, <laughs> I'm six foot three and and uh and my whole life they've been saying, Yeah, well, you know, one 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 seventy, one seventy-five. I was like, I used to weigh 175. I look like a stick. <laughs> and last but- time I weighed 175, they changed my diaper. But uh, uh, no, a week and a half ago, I weighed one seventy seven. Though, yeah. So you're you're down there, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I'm heading back well, the way. We already we can't we can't turn this into to uh, diet no. talk. Though. No. I'm gonna I'm gonna start feeling suicidal before. It's <laughs> over. <laughs> no, man. Uh, the, first, I want to say welcome. I, I didn't. I maybe didn't do a full proper introduction because you, Michael Bunker, you're an author. Yes, uh, indie published author. Mm-hmm. Uh, but among other things, you've got a quite a bit. You've got quite a bit going on uh, with. Uh, you've got your bunker nation stuff, which we can talk about. Uh, you you just did this thirty day off grid challenge, uh, which is going to sound insane to some people. Um, but it's just another day in the the, to the hood reasonable for you. People. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> to the reasonable people. To see the, uh, yeah, we saw your daily egg update. Uh, yeah. But w- one of, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, and one of the things I'm really excited about is um, ha- we're going to talk about because you your book Pennsylvania was optioned for a major motion picture is That's in right. production, slightly derailed by the pandemic, but it actually uh, is still on track, right? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely still on the still on the schedule. Uh, everything in Hollywood was sidetracked. I mean, literally, literally movies that were two or three days from wrapping yeah went on hiatus and um, yeah. and a lot of those things uh depending on where they were in the in production were not good because uh, sometimes the insurance company rather write it off and move on down the road yeah. and <clears throat> so we were actually in a really good position because we had not actually started pre-production and so um you know it's uh it, just waiting for the doors to open up now waiting for uh er- everything's going to shift so like yeah. um all the actors schedules are going to shift yeah so what deals they're taking all the windows have to be reopened and and when when are you you know when is so and so going to have an opportunity to do this and once all of that start it's kind of like a big game of tetris so once things start falling in, then, yeah. then we'll kind of have a better idea where we are. But 
that's yeah, we, one of the few like benefits if, if there can be one of this pandemic is that because when, when a film gets delayed usually it, it can it can derail a film and, and it never gets completed because right. those actors have other commitments they go on to other things the, the directors all the all the crew but everybody got derailed on this one <laughs> yeah, everybody just went on pause really and yeah. um and so it's going to be interesting to see that once things start falling back together and i think we're starting to see some not officially but starting to see some things starting to happen as far as uh i i read some news the other day that some of the productions are going to be moving to places like new zealand and other places yeah. where the perhaps the um the reintroduction of production is not going to be so onerous so difficult yeah and so um just the fact that they're talking about that means that the ball is starting to roll again yeah and people are actually having ideas about you know what might happen so we were hoping prior to the pandemic that right now right about now going into june we were going to be uh having a schedule for filming and all that so yeah it's uh it was a hard blow but I mean, it was a lot of hard blow for people that got sick, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it's not like anything we can complain about. Yeah, no, it's, that, that really is, that really is kind of the thing, right? You, yeah. You can't exactly say, oh, woe is me. Yeah. My, my movie isn't being made. Yeah, my Hollywood movie's <laughs> not being made because of these sick people out here. <laughs> Come on. Pull so yourselves selfish. together. Uh, so, this is a this is something I know every author I'm included in this even though I worked in film and TV and have a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth for certain aspects of of the production world but uh, everybody kind of dreams of their book being optioned like this so what was the start of this of this journey for you man well you know I had some some sniffs I guess you'd call them way back in like 2013. Not on Pennsylvania because it hadn't been written yet, but on some earlier stuff that I'd written, I'd had some uh, people contact me and ask about buying options. And so the, I guess that got the thought in my mind that someday it could be possible. Yeah. And um, and then in, in 2013, I went to Worldcon and um, and I went to uh, one of the panels and one of the panels was it was entitled how to sell your option to Hollywood. And so I just laughed when I read it because I thought if there's a how to, why isn't everybody doing it? <laughs> right, right. There's actually a list of stuff. It's like 99%. Get your book optioned in three easy steps. Yeah, it's, like, <laughs> it's like push this button. Um, it's like yeah. every YouTube video is like, if you could figure out how to do this. And so I went right. and, and it was exactly what I thought it was. It was, it was not how to, it was how it happened to me which is mm -hmm. a completely different thing. And so they had like seven panelists, but um, it did teach me something. And that is that uh, th there's really two sides of the coin. Some people want to say, well, it's all luck. It's all if the right person sees your book or reads it, or it gets in the right person's hands. And there's some element of that, but there's also the element of the fact that it's available for them to read and it's available for somebody to stumble upon it. And so, yep. uh, there was a big kind of brouhaha broke out during the middle of the thing because somebody got mad in the audience and they said, you're not telling us how to do it. You're just telling us you got lucky. And this one, one of the panelists, I don't remember who it was, said, um, you know, perhaps that's so, but 
my book was in that bookstore that that director went into. Yeah. And it was pointed out, you know, so, you know, all of those things kind of go into it. So that was kind of what just got me thinking about it. And then 2014, when Pennsylvania really kind of took off and went up into the top, I think it was in the top 26 in the whole store, 25 in the whole store, maybe even higher. I can't remember, but it was the number one uh, sci-fi book. And uh, that just happened to be when this uh, producer, Stacy Jorgensen was uh, taking a flight and mm -hmm. uh, she had, and, and was right around that, right around the time that um, they were uh, announcing the production on, on uh, the Martian. Yeah. And so she, in her mind, she was thinking, I wonder if there's another one out there. That's kind of like another the Martian. <laughs> yeah. Well, not, yeah. you know, the genre, but uh, yeah. kind of like the genre, but, uh, and so she just went and I guess she looked at the top five sci-fi books at that moment. And I think Pennsylvania was number one. It was number one or number two. Yeah. And so she, uh, she just sent me a letter. Uh, it was a, and I've still got it here somewhere. And, uh, she just said, you know, I want to inquire about buying the option. Now at the time she was a very, um, uh, new, uh, producer. She'd been an actress yeah. and she had made a movie, um, as, as a producer, and a few other smaller, some TV stuff and had optioned a few things, but most people wouldn't have known who she was. She was still getting started. She was like us, you know, still, still trying to get started. And, and so, um, and I had had some other interest in Pennsylvania. And so uh, I, I kind of looked at what had happened with options for like Hugh Howie's wool and some of the other deals that had gone to bigger producers. And then they kind of just got into the doldrums and weren't getting made. And so yeah. I really, really was impressed by Stacy, and I thought, well, if anybody's going to ever, ever get this thing made, then it's going to be her. And so uh, we ended up selling the option in um, 2015, October, November 2015, yeah. and then it's been re-upped every year. And then starting about last April 1st is when it, we got a director, and things really started to, really started to move. Yeah. And you that's, don't usually want that stuff to happen on April first, but that's how it happened. Every major life event I've, in my life seems to start on April first. Isn't it crazy? <laughs> and then you can't really tell anybody because they're all like, "Right, right, exactly, yeah. exactly." Good one, good yeah. one. Even even for like seven or eight days after, you can't. Yeah, because they think it's just a lingering. Well, know. see, my my um, I had played an April Fool's uh, trick on my wife. Yeah. Earlier that day. And um, we had had a pig that had had piglets like three or four days earlier. Right. And then on April 1st, I went down there and I said, there's more piglets down there, which is like an impossibility. But I said, there's more piglets down there. She's like, you're, you're kidding me. I go, yeah, yeah, April Fool's. So yeah. then I went into the house and like 15 <laughs> minutes later, I got uh, I got contacted from Stacy and she's like, you know, this thing's moving. We got it. We got a big time, big name director yeah. who's attached. And I was like, right. So, so now I'm supposed <laughs> to go tell my one. wife, <laughs> I'm supposed to go out there and go, Hey, we got a director. It's a, <laughs> it's a huge big name director. And so that's kind of how it got started, but uh, the ball really started rolling. And then in September or October, I can't remember my wife and I got to go out to Hollywood and we got to meet the director and meet the producer and spend some time out there. And, yeah, R really uh, actually seeing some of the visuals of what he has planned, which was fantastic. That's one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Was, yeah. Uh, sit, sit in a restaurant while uh, the guy who created the alien 
in uh, Independence Day is showing you on a on a on a picture on a on a screen what what your movie's going to look like. <laughs> I, I, are they going to cast Will Smith in your movie? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. I just the cast is already done. I've seen the uh, the IMDb uh, article about it. So yeah, I don't think. I don't think it's going to be Will Smith. I think the budget would have to go up a little bit, probably. A little. Not a lot. <laughs> I don't know. He's not working right now. Well, nobody's <laughs> working right now. <laughs> so uh, that's. I mean, you okay? You get the you get the call. There is a little bit of luck involved now, but you sure. but you also you went looking for that opportunity as well, right? What opportunity is that? The movie? The, you the movie? Like you no. you. No, no, it just came to you. Okay. No, All right. It just came to me. And um, yeah, I've, I've never, ever, ever pursued it just because yeah. I thought it was crazy. Yeah. I just thought it was yeah. crazy. I was like, what? There's like a billion people trying to make movies right now. And there's a billion authors so what, trying to. What I you're trying know. to tell us, Michael, is is uh, if you want to have your book made into a movie, get, publish it and get lucky. <laughs> well, I always, I always have to remind people. Yeah, the, the the more of your books are out there to be read, the luckier you will become. If 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 it's good, that is good advice. Actually, so it, yeah. it was an original idea, something nobody had ever done before. It was yep. uh, something that was very cinematic as far as the visuals of it. It was uh, it was attention getting just because of the uh, strange genre, Amish sci-fi. But at the same time, if the story's not there, if it's not something that somebody like Patrick Tatopoulos, who is our director who is a very visual, um, he's, he's one of the top uh, production designers in all of Hollywood. He just got done doing the production design for um, Maleficent, uh, yeah. for which he was, he was nominated for an a Academy Award. So, uh, yeah. well, I think, no, he got it for the, uh, for the producer, uh, Production Directors Guild is what yeah. it was. Yeah. But he was up in the category that usually gets... Uh, sends him to the academy award so this is a very visual guy so yes no doubt the right person the yeah. right and i would tell you this any other director in the any other producer in the world and i i say this honestly if it had been anybody you name all the big names yeah they would have probably dropped this project already just because um uh it's it's something that has to grab somebody you know it's got to grab them really yeah, really quick yeah. And um, and we've had that quite often, but sometimes you have to explain it, right? So if you if you're if you're selling a movie, you're like it's like people in space, and there's an alien that's trapped with them in a in a, yeah. in a spaceship. They get that. That's an immediate visual. But when you're like, so really, it's an Amish guy, and he's going <laughs> to another planet. It takes and a few more words to explain it. I, I'm just imagining the pitch meeting. You know, okay, yeah. look, it's an Amish guy. Yeah. Did he did he get to the planet in a cart in horse or <laughs> how did he get there? It was a okay. space space buggy. Let's go back a little. <laughs> yeah, so we gotta explain it. But um once they get it, you know, and, and Stacy is has been like a dog with a bone, man. And um if you get her in a room with somebody and this has happened with financers, this has happened with uh with Patrick and with a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, she's the, she's the best salesperson in the world. So I've been very, very blessed. You know, I know other people and friends of mine who have sold options 
who who are bigger names and have sold options to bigger name directors and their projects went nowhere. So yeah, yeah, I'm very very excited. Oh yeah, and it's not hard for it to go nowhere. Like I yeah. I I had the uh, the president of uh, MGM TV personally request all of my Kotler books. Never heard from him since. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's almost like they're actually looking for a reason to say no. Yeah. Yeah. And um, there's somebody in every room. So if there's nine people in a room that are excited about a project, there's going to be one person who's trying to kill it. Yeah. And you need um, that, though. Yeah. You want that, but I don't want that. <laughs> no, yeah. I, want I, know. Everybody no, I get it. Yeah. So for Love them, me. it probably worked out, but um, somebody is trying to kill the deal. Yeah. And, um, and so, and there's just little nuances, you know, little things like, um, you know, all of a sudden the financer comes in, he's like, let's push this thing another year. Well, if you've got your director, he has a window of time set aside to do this film. Then you're like, no, we got to do it during this time. And so it's, uh, it's been an interesting thing. And then, uh, I was going to have the opportunity to be there for six to nine months in 2020 yep. for the filming and possibly even be in the movie. And so that really threw our lives into, into a turmoil. And then like that, you know, the pandemic hit and you're like, well, life, yeah. life change for uh, 2020. You, you, uh, you've been posting uh, pictures of baskets of eggs uh, practically every day. Right. Uh, so, and I think it's, I think you're trying to hint to everyone, right? It's a metaphor. It, it's, it, are they, are they, uh, Easter eggs? <laughs> no, you have all those eggs in one basket. Yeah, they are. <laughs> but it's also like it's a hidden meaning, right? Aren't those called it's, Easter eggs when there's a hidden? Those Easter eggs. Yeah, exactly. You got an Easter egg in there. <laughs> <laughs> so we can get, we can stretch this out. I'm oh, yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, before we go any further, though, I want to remind everybody that uh, coming up in about 15 minutes, uh, you can at, well, we'll be answering your questions live in the last 15 minutes of the live broadcast. If you're listening to this on the uh, podcast, uh, you could still pop over to YouTube, find this video and uh, and uh, leave a question in the comments there. We'd be happy to answer you. Be sure you subscribe while you're there. So subscribe. There's a law. There's the internet law that says I have to tell people to subscribe to us on YouTube. So. Yeah. At some point, you got to go in the description. So yeah. Uh, so speaking of YouTube and subscriptions and other things, uh, you are you just finished up that you did. I know you did some of this. Uh, you did this in various places. I was watching you on YouTube primarily, mm -hmm. uh, but you just did your 30 day off grid challenge. Now, what was the insanity behind that? Well, it, it's ties with the movie because um, yeah. I started my fitness uh, mission on January 8th uh, to uh, get fit because I had an opportunity to at least audition for the movie. They haven't promised me anything, but they said, yeah. you know, I actually wrote one of the parts for myself, <laughs> parts of Goa Eagles. And so um, and I've been pressuring them kindly saying, you know, I wrote the part for me. I'm, pr I'm really suited for it. And they said, eh. They were making up reasons not they, you know, authors want to be in the movie, you know, and yeah, and so yeah. um, they, they finally said, OK, you know, we'll, we'll make sure you get an audition. So I started working out pretty uh, and walking and exercising. And the character is is a large, muscular fit character. Yeah. And so I, I, I was preparing 
and I was going to take uh, about 20 weeks or so to really, really get my, to, to do a whole body makeover really. Yeah. And, uh, and so I had started that on January 8th. And then when this thing happened, uh, my wife and I had planned on me being gone for six to nine months of this year. So we didn't plant a fall crop. Everybody, if you don't know, I live on an off grid farm. We don't, uh, the electricity that I'm using is coming from a, uh, backup battery source that's powered by solar. So, um, and we produce a lot of our own food, a lot of our own uh, supplies and all that. So, but we did not put a crop in, in the fall. We did not put in gardens. We, we were really poorly prepared for 15 years. I have been supremely prepared for a pandemic. If anything had happened in any year up until 2020, I was yeah. like, I, I would have been sitting in a hammock uh, yeah. drinking homemade Mai Tais. But <laughs> because last fall we decided we wanted to divest ourselves of some amount, my wife was going to be here by herself for the most part for yeah. six to nine months. And so I didn't want her to have this big farm to take care of. So we started, so our root cellar is basically empty. And so when this thing started happening, I had written a book in 2011, a nonfiction book called Surviving Off Off Grid. And all of a sudden, all these people got interested in that book and got interested in my off grid life. And they're like, oh, you must be perfect to be you. Even the director of the movie, Patrick Tatopoulos, he said, well, I know you got nothing to worry about. You're nothing. I was like, actually, we're not really, we're not, he's got two freezers full of meat, you yeah. know, with a generator. He's probably better off than I am. Yeah. And, um, and so then I was thinking about that and I thought, you know what, uh, this would be a perfect opportunity to show people what would actually happen. What would actually happen if, on a certain day, if the pandemic got worse and everybody was locked down, we were locked down out here in this poorly prepared. We were still better prepared than 99% of the people. But for us, we were poorly prepared. Yeah. And, and what would it be like? And so I announced I was going to do a 30 day off grid uh, challenge. My wife was going to go stay with her sister in the Metroplex. So I would be totally by myself, running the farm by myself. And the goal would be not only to survive, but if I can get my head out of the way, thrive, thrive, which is to increase the stores, increase the food that was in the root cellar, could not leave the land, could not buy anything, couldn't prepare for it. In other words, yeah. for the week that I was announcing I was going to do it, I couldn't go to the store and buy more food. I couldn't buy any supplies. I couldn't buy any tools. And so for those 30 days, living completely off grid to try to increase the storage that we have in the root cellar and try to make things better. It ended up being 100 degrees for a good part of the the challenge and the 50 mile an hour winds. And it was, it was, a, it was a real challenge, but I finished yesterday. Yesterday. At you, you were supposed to finish this morning. Well, <laughs> officially <laughs> the 30 days was over three o'clock yesterday, but I had, I okay. had decided on my own that I was going to go until this morning. And then Kevin calls and he's like, Hey, you want to do this interview? I was like, if I actually do that, that's going to add a whole day. Because yeah. after this thing, I would have to get everything prepared and and then go to town at three o'clock today. So I was like, I'm not adding another day. Yeah. So yeah. I ended up ending it yesterday at three o'clock, which was the official uh, ending. And that's me. I throw a monkey <laughs> wrench in everybody's plans. He's like, eh, how'd you like to do another day? <laughs> Casually come on over. <laughs> but and we filmed the whole thing, and so then I was doing live, um, yeah, uh, YouTube videos every night. I'm still going to be doing them every uh, two to three nights a week on my YouTube channel. And eventually, probably starting next week, the uh, we've had two of the full day videos come out, but all of the full day videos are going to come out. So it'll be a series that somebody can sit down and watch 
all 30 days of the challenge and what I did during the day and when disasters happened, what did I do? And, uh, can, uh, can people find this on your, on your website? Uh, they can. My website's michaelbunker.com. All the videos are archived there, but you can also just go to YouTube, type in Michael Bunker, uh, youtube.com forward slash bunk dad will get you there. But bunk um, dad, is that bunk what it dad. is? Yeah. Okay. You, right. you want to hear that story? Yeah, let's hear it. We got, we got six minutes, tell me. <laughs> 1993, sometime when the internet first got started, and my very first email account, my daughter was one and had just started talking, and I was sitting at the computer, one of my, my very first email account I ever signed up for, and I was trying to think of a name for the email account, and just the, and I had typed bunk, and I was trying to think of something else, and she walked in, and she goes, <laughs> Dad, and I went, dad <laughs> so i became bunk dad nice. and then that all my friends that became bunk daddy then b diddy then it, yeah it, it followed whatever puff daddy changed his name mine mine changed too <laughs> all right i i can accept that that's a that's a, a refreshing story i thought this was going to go in a whole other direction honestly no, no, no. Uh, <laughs> that was prior to bunker nation that was prior prior to bunker nation that's right What's the whole Bunker Nation thing? Well, you know, it just, uh, I just was sitting there every day doing a live uh, broadcast and, yeah. and and we had a regular crowd that was coming in and they were, uh, I was where a guy sent me a, this t-shirt, like this t-shirt four or five years ago. It was when Pennsylvania was really hot and he thought it was funny. And I said, well, I could not wear a pic picture of myself on my shirt. And he said, you can, if you wear it ironically. So because I've lost a hundred pounds, I didn't have any clothes to wear. So yeah. I dug down deep in my drawer and I had this shirt with my face on it and I was wearing it. And then people were like, we want one, we want one. And so yeah. they were, yeah. and then, and then the, the joke kept going. And all of a sudden people were like going, we're the bunker nation. So yeah. a friend of mine said, you need to just call it bunker nation, call the, the podcast or the, the YouTube channel bunker nation. So, so that, that now that's, that's what it is. You gotta, sometimes you just gotta let fate guide you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Everything happens to me on accident. Have you noticed? Uh, yeah, no, I know. I know. <laughs> I tried to get one of those shirts. I was trying to get the black one because I don't like white. I don't want to wear a white shirt. I will. That shirt will always be dirty if it's if it's white. That's exactly. <laughs> what, it happens on the first day with the first coffee. Yeah. Yep. And then I've got now. Th at that point, you've got a strange brown birthmark for life. Well, I will tell everybody: <laughs> black T-shirts are no longer available. Uh, at michaelbunker.com, but I'm going to make sure that Kevin gets one if he will wear it on his podcast. Oh, I'll totally wear it. I I uh, I pimp people out all the time. Uh, oh, so, well, yeah, that's, I will totally wear it. Guy. That was an easy sell. Yeah, <laughs> so I'll make sure you get one. I just need to know what size you're going to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm I'm committed, man. I'm right. I've been doing it, and uh, for some of the same hard. reasons you did, you know, you I know I, you. Part of yours was not just for the movie, but also like some health related very, stuff. Very, very much health related, yeah. And yeah, and that was, I was really, the same way. Yeah, I, I I had a I had some pretty serious things going on that were worrying, and it's been a it's been a great experience to uh, lose hundred and one pounds and feel this much better. You do feel better. I, yeah, it's it, like you it, dropped it, a whole person. Exactly. Like you're carrying <laughs> a person, and then you just. For years carrying a person, then you just put them down. You're like, well, that's how it feels better without that person. <laughs> what was I thinking? That guy didn't help me at all. <laughs> it's just dragging me down.
<laughs> so uh, do you got any last tips for people who might be interested in, well, what, uh, we got like three minutes. Can you talk about what the, uh, the adaptation process has been like? Did you have any input in the script? Yeah, and the original, the very first script that was written starting in 2014, I wrote, and um, that was, it, it was exciting, it was interesting. Uh, we It went from a movie to a TV series pitch to a miniseries pitch, Yeah, back to a movie again, back to a TV series, and then back to a movie again. Yeah. Well, at uh, at one point, in, in around 2016, we had a very big name director who was very interested in doing it and had talked about it and was wanting to uh, read the script and didn't have any problem with the script that I'd written. But this is what happens in Hollywood. So you authors out there, be ready. What they'll do, it, everything has to, it's like musical chairs. Nobody yeah. will sit down until something has happened. Yeah. But even then they'll say, well, I'm not going to do this deal with a no name. Nobody's ever heard of Michael Bunker before. You can have nobody ever heard of the original author, but you can't have nobody ever heard of the screenwriter too. Yeah. So uh, they said you have to get a, a better named screenwriter. So I was fired, which was one of the best things. I mean, it, to get fired because a big name director wants a better screenwriter yeah. is not not a bad thing. So I was fired, and they hired another screenwriter, and then that director dropped out. And yeah. so um, it, it ended up, I, I got to go through about four or five different passes on the adaptation. And what you basically learn is that they're, they're really not making a movie of your book. Right. They're making a movie of the theme and the overall story and the general world in the world of your yeah. book and everything else. It's like an alternative universe version of your book. Yeah. And so you can't hold on too tightly trying to make them make your book into a movie because it's just not going to happen. It's has had the Martian was one that yeah. was pretty close because it, was, it had a linear storyline. Yeah. If you have a linear storyline where some this is one guy and we're tracking what happens to him and you had a couple of off world shots where they were back at NASA. But the line, the storyline was linear. Yeah. Most of our books are not linear like that. You know, yeah. there's things happening over here. And then in my books, there's things happening before and there's uh, flash forwards and flashbacks and you don't know where the time is. And yeah. And so with that, they, they can't make that into a movie. They could yeah. make that into a very long series. But for a right. movie, the, basically, they bring somebody in who says, OK, here's the elements of the story that is true to your book. And then we're going to write um, those characters in a story that we can tell in 120 minutes or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, and that's actually uh, good to point out. Uh, not that a lot of authors are going to have to deal with that scenario uh, right away, but you know, if you ever do get to that point, you know, I've, I've actually seen projects just completely drop because the original creator couldn't keep their hands out of it. Uh, yeah. You know, eventually you they'll get to. tired of you. Yeah. You have to. And, and, you know, I offered uh, uh, whatever if they asked for my opinion, I gave them my opinion. But all the time knowing that this was not my book, my book will always exist exactly the way that it is. And so nobody's yeah. going to be displeased because they're not going to go back and rewrite my book. Yeah. But this is a version of that story that Hollywood wants to tell. 
And, and to tell you the truth, after five or six iterations of the script, uh, the script that was approved to go, to go into pre-production and all of that was uh, closer to the book than any of the previous scripts. So I was very, very okay. pleased with the final script that I read. My trick is uh, write a whole bunch of great one-liners and just string them together. Yeah. And that way they want to keep most of the book. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> was, see, I don't do anything in one. I can't even introduce myself in one line. <laughs> People are like, hey, introduce yourself in a couple minutes. I said, you got a couple hours? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that takes paragraphs. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're in the final uh, 15 minutes of the show. So I want to, we're going to shift gears and we're going to get uh, everybody asking some questions and uh, commenting. And the first one I want to pop up here is from uh, DL White saying that uh, first waving, hello, uh, you both look like you feel great. So compliments on uh, mostly you though, man. I, I still look too, essentially though. the same, but you, you lost 101 pounds. That's 101 significant. Pounds. But you look great yeah. though, by the way. You you do too, man. <laughs> uh, so we got uh, Josh Hayes says the bunker with yes. with four of those very valuable, uh, very rare exclamation points. I got it. Uh, I got it right on my shirt. Ironically, <laughs> right. Okay. So let's see. Uh, I'm scrolling down, and uh, we don't, I don't see a ton of questions yet. So if you're out there, uh, YouTube, Facebook, or otherwise, go ahead and pop a question in. Uh, I'll share some more comments here. Uh, I love that you're preparing for a possible role. Very cool, Michael. That is cool, by the way. Did they? Yeah. Then you said it's not promised to you yet, but they, are they? Do they seem like they're actually legitimately interested? Yeah, and and. You know, there's different. Everybody doesn't have the same vision. And so uh, the director's got a vision and the producer has a vision. And at some point, everybody's vision goes away. And the director's vision is the vision that uh, or, or the financers. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of things to it that, ha that have been explained to me. And so if the producer was 100 percent on board and said, you're perfect for the role, you're a great actor, you're you fit the role, you've built your body to fit, fit the role and the director loved it and it gets picked up by Disney or gets picked up by Sony, you got a bunch of guys in a room there and somebody's going to say, okay, and this actually happens. And this was told to me. They look at every single person on the cast and they go, who does this add as far as an audience in Germany? Who does this yeah. add in Hungary? Who does this add in Japan? Does Michael Bunker put any butts in seats in China? Yeah, and of course he doesn't. That's true of everybody who's new at new at this. And yeah. so there are windows of opportunity for somebody in a smaller role to get the opportunity to do it. But yeah. basically what was told to me finally was, listen, we're going to audition you and, you know, push it as, as, as far as we can with the people who somebody at some point is going to have to go. OK, or like, no, we need uh, Ross from Friends or something, yeah. you know. Because perhaps he has a huge audience in the Paraguay that's going to add that many more dollars, right? Well, that's the that's the key. If you want want roles in your own stuff, you need to make sure you're big in Paraguay. You want to be big in Paraguay. You want to you want to <laughs> have China. a Bolivian contingent or yeah. something like that. And so we've talked uh, about this before. The Bolivian contingent is going to be the title of one of my books at some point. 
Yeah. So it ought to that's, be. That's that's a, that's a thriller right there. Uh, so we got a question from YouTube. Did you ever feel like giving up? Like the industry is too hard to crack. Yeah, I, I, and and there's two industries here. So you have the book publishing industry, and you got yeah. the Hollywood industry. I never tried to make it in the Hollywood industry ever. I've just been along for the ride. And so like I, I answer the phone, and if somebody asks me a question, and then I I'm in constant regular contact with the producer the executive yeah. producer who is uh, Stacy Jorgensen. But other than that, I have not, I, I never pursued Hollywood as far as uh, the publishing industry. Yes. I've, I've been very uh, frustrated even as an indie author, just yeah. because it's sometimes it can be, a, it's just so much work. And yeah. from 2009 to 2015, I was, uh, you know, 15 hours a day uh, and you have to do that. You have to you have to be going and yeah. uh, going to shows and pushing your books and doing re- interviews and all that. And uh, so there were times. But then, uh, you know, I like the book. I like the book. I like the stories. I like telling the stories. So that yeah. part of it you can do without getting too crazy into it. So yeah. uh, and then, you know, if something happens and somebody you never know, you never know. I'm yeah. just I. I'm an off-grid guy living in the middle of nowhere in Texas. And I got a phone call from a producer in Hollywood who had just gotten off a plane. She had just stepped off the plane. She read my book on the plane. Yeah. And and yeah. What, she sent a card, actually, when she got off the plane. So it can happen. If it can happen to me, there's no reason for anybody to have ever read my book. I'm going to just start taking books to the airport and, and just leaving them front-facing in the airport bookstores. See, I've done this at Barnes and Noble, and it does work. Yeah, well, <laughs> see, I hadn't even thought of that. I haven't been see? in the airport. Uh, you don't, you don't <laughs> play the same games I play, Michael. I know, uh, I so, all the wrong games. <laughs> Roland Denzel says, "Asks, uh, what's the number one thing city folk can do to be prepared?" And he put well, that in quotes. Yeah, <laughs> the, the number one thing city folk uh, can do is they need to consider uh, where and how. They do everything that they do. That's the number one thing you can yeah. do. So you have to yeah. live deliberately, even if you live in the city. So yeah. if you have no idea, most people have no idea why there's water coming through their pipes. They just know right. that there is water coming through their pipes. Right. What happens if it stops? So yeah. uh, you know, we, we go through our lives and we flip a switch and the power comes on. So you don't think about it until that one day in the middle of the summer when the power goes out and you're like, ah, uh, but what happens if it goes off and it doesn't come back on? Yeah. And that question, what happens, is the number one thing you can, you can do. You, you have to be alerted to the idea that the just-in-time delivery of goods and services is not guaranteed. It's a very new thing in civilization. Most of civilization has, has existed for thousands and thousands of years without it. We're in a teeny, teeny sliver of a window where... Yep. Um, you, you can have oranges in the middle of the winter and you can have spices from all over the world and they're all delivered just in time, just like your electricity. Yeah. It's great when it works. Yeah. It's great when yeah. it works. You, you, uh, that's the thing uh, that I always try to think about is, and I'm not an off-grid guy, not really, mm-hmm. uh, but I always, whatever I'm doing, I ask what what happens if this stops, right? Like what happens if this, if how dependent am I on this microwave oven or how dependent am I on running tap water? 
So, and then, you know, the RV thing, you know, you joke, it's not exactly like what you do, but there is a whole lot of, you have to be consciously making decisions all the time. Do I have enough water? Do I have, yeah. Can I I do this thing? And and where do I need to stop or what? Um, It it does. It is the same thing. It's not at the same degree, but it is the same thing because you're actually having to think about where stuff comes from and, 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 and how it gets there and what would I do without it? And, right. uh, and that's really, that's a, that's Resource the first management. Yeah, yeah. It's the first step is to know. So we got another question from uh, YouTube. Uh, I just logged on and this may have been mentioned, but when you, when your book is made into a movie, do you sign over your rights to not have any changes made from any producers? Okay. So, so it depends guess- on who you are. Yeah. Uh, uh, for 99.9% of us who no one's ever heard of before. And, and, but somebody read your book and they loved it and they want to make a movie, you pretty much sign over everything. Um, yeah. It doesn't mean that you don't, uh, have any input. You do have a lot of input up until the moment that you sell the option. Right. So you have that window of time when somebody tries to buy it and you are trying to sell it where you can talk to that person and meet that person and know if this is somebody that's uh, going to allow you some input and is going to be respectful of your work and all that kind of stuff. However, like I said, unless you are Stephen King, unless you yeah. are somebody like that, um, you're, you're not going to be able to uh, demand anything, really. There are some standard kind of boilerplate things that you get, and there are yeah. standard boilerplate things that you aren't going to get, and they're not going to they're not going to give you. And so if you sit and everybody has the right to be firm in your conviction that that's your project or whatever, but you also are probably almost certainly never going to have a movie made. If you try that when nobody knows who you are, I, my, my position was on this one. um, I'm going to go along and learn and be along for the ride. And then you learn. And so the next time it happens, and I've sold another option since then. I sold the option for Brother Frank, uh, another one of my books that's in the same world as Pennsylvania. And um, on that, you have a lot more leeway because you're a known factor. And they know you're not going to be a a pain in the butt, that you're not going to be trying to be in control. You're not trying to be the director of the movie. And so, uh, and if, if Pennsylvania comes out and it makes a whole bunch of money, you know, the next yeah. time down the road, then you could say, hey, you know, I'd like to I'd like to be in the room. I'd like to be in the writer's room. I'd like to participate um, in, at that level. You know, do you have uh, any worries about um, this? Is I'm going to call this the jumper effect, because when Stephen Gould's book uh, Jumper was adapted to film, my opinion only terrible adaptation of the book right so do you have any worries that but it, but this can be dangerous now i didn't hurt him uh as far as i can tell but bonfire of the vanities was one that uh, the book was a, was you know a, t- a top seller for years uh but when the the film came out people panned the film so much that nobody will touch the book are right. you at all worried about something like that no and, and the fact that you could name that book tells you that it's so rare uh, most of the time, the only example I have, <laughs> most of the movies that have ever been made from Stephen King books are, 
are are bad. Not all of them, of course. The Shining was good, and there's some been some other good ones, but uh, a lot of them, especially those in the '80s and '90s, were pretty bad. Maximum yeah, Overdrive yeah. was pretty bad, and so um, yeah, the thing is, is that I don't worry about that even the slightest. And uh, Ernest Hemingway had some had some great advice. And he's like, you basically drive to the border of California. You throw your manuscript over the wall and then they throw money over the wall and you drive home. <laughs> you have to tell yourself. And I, this was great advice from my good friend, Jim Butcher. And that is what they're making is not your book. Your book exists and will continue to exist as your book. Yeah. Uh, just because we can think of one example where the book was damaged but that guy made a whole lot of money off that book before that ever happened. And he made a whole lot of money off the book while the movie was coming out. So yeah. um, it, your book is your book and the movie is a separate thing. It can help you a whole lot more than it could ever hurt you. I mean, a whole lot more. Yeah. It would not take a, a massive uh, hit for uh, uh, it to start rolling because there's, there's there's actually more books in this series and then um uh yeah brother frank it's is like, a book that's written like in the marketing. same world yeah yeah it's like additional marketing well we're at we're at time uh All so right. i want to make sure everybody knows they can find you and everything bunker nation at michaelbunker.com yeah right there so you see exactly it. It there you go right you're there. watching the video there it is and there it's it on is. screen at the bottom it's like it's like url inception <laughs> uh, so, uh, Michael, thanks so much for being a part of this, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my uh, pleasure. Right now. Well, uh, you know, you and I've talked like five times over the past month too. So, well, I, I enjoy it every time. And even if we weren't doing this on here, I would just slowly like to sit down and talk. I know we'll just, we just need to just make it a regular thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we're going to be in the, the, uh, camper soon. One of my plans is to so, discover somehow where your your compound is hidden, it is swing by. Yeah, it's <laughs> all right, everybody. Start in the middle of Texas. That's where it is. It's right there don't, where don't it landed. Wherever that is. <laughs> okay, everyone. Uh, so, all of you watching on YouTube and uh, Facebook, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate uh, you being here, asking questions. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, if you go to YouTube.com/slash Draft to Digital, or just search for Draft to Digital, and you'll probably find us. Uh, subscribe, hit the little bell icon to be notified of new episodes. Uh, and uh, you can do something very similar on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash draft to digital where you can follow us and see more of these. We're trying to do one of these live every day this summer. Uh, and you can find uh, the countdown for each new episode. If you go to d2dlive.com, make sure you bookmark that. If you're listening on the podcast, you can still catch up. You can still follow these things live. We're going to eventually shift to a once a week thing. Uh, but that is it for this episode of D2D Spotlight. And Michael Bunker, once again, sir, I really appreciate you taking part in the whole thing. Thanks, buddy. All right, everybody. We'll see you all next time. That's it for this week's Self-Publishing Insiders with draft to digital Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts and share the show with your will-be author friends. And start, build, and grow your own self-publishing career right now at draft2digital.com.